0: Hello and welcome to the Maxmoo Theater and Performance Podcast. This is the May Preview. Before we get started, a scheduling note. We're going to a lighter summer recording schedule, but we promise at least two episodes a month, a preview of what we're excited to see and a review of what we have seen. So you can expect one episode on the first Wednesday and one episode on the third Wednesday of every month. Okay? All right. On to the show. Hope you enjoy it.
1: Hello. You car? are What's listening you to Maximu. My name is Jeremy Barker. <laughs>
2: And today we're going to talk a little bit about May.
0: <laughs> Jack, if to you, my
2: left is Lindsay Barron's, the Jack founder. Would
0: actually, and, prefers to start his sentences by going like this. Oh yeah, today I, I we're always. talk about
2: I'm a lip popper, is what I've, <laughs> I've what I've been told, and I can't do anything about it. It's, pal- you, it's
0: you, that's not true. You've gotten better since we started talking about it.
2: Oh, yeah, no, actually, that's true. I guess I hadn't thought of that, but shame works really well on I, me. There's no
0: shame involved. No, 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 it's education.
2: <laughs> that was processed through my Catholic school upbringing as shame. Got there's no it. other way to process it.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that was for you, my friend. Thank that you was for, for you. making
0: my editing <laughs> job all the more difficult.
2: That's why I'm here.
0: We are here to talk about what we're excited to see in May. Mm-hmm. Things are really heating up.
2: Yeah. Not actually though, because it's cold as shit outside. It's
0: a rainy day. Yeah, it sucks. It is actually the first of May. Am I correct in saying so? Yes. You're right.
1: Yeah, May first.
0: Awesome. Okay, we did it. let's start with introductions. <laughs> Jeremy, who are you?
1: Uh, my name is Jeremy Barker. I am a writer and critic here in New York. I've written for Culturebot for many years, the editor of Chance Magazine, and uh, freelance other things.
0: Cool, Jack.
2: I'm Jack Moore. I have a shorter resume than Jer- uh, Jeremy. Uh, I am the literary associate at the Public Theater, and my views, therefore, are my own.
0: And I'm Lindsay. I um, <laughs> previously was saying that I'm the person who presses the record button on the podcast. Which
2: you do so well. I've been meaning to tell you.
0: But then um, Todd, who live tweets the podcast sometimes, he called me the showrunner.
2: I was Ooh. like, oh, that's a rad title. I think
0: I might take that's that a title. Good
2: one, yeah. The Shonda yeah. Rhymes of Maximo. Oh, my God. <laughs> Lindsay Barrett. There's like no
0: greater compliment on the planet.
2: None. Thanks, Todd.
0: Oh, thank you, Todd. All right. Let's get started. Jack, why don't you kick us off? What are you excited to see in May?
2: Uh, a lot of things, uh, but the thing I think I'm most excited for uh, is a new play coming to our friends at the Signature Theater uh, in Midtown called Daphne's Dive. This is by Kiara Alegria-Hudes, uh, who is one of their new, I think, Residency 5 playwrights, which means that over the course of the next several years, um, Signature has various residency programs for playwrights, and Kiara is going to have three of her plays produced uh, over the course of the next couple years. So this is the first one, Daphne's Dive. Uh, it's gonna be directed by uh, a young up-and-coming director named Thomas Kale, whose work I'm unfamiliar with, <laughs> uh, who is uh, a friend of ours at The Public, who directed Hamilton and uh, Dry Powder at The Public. Um, this play is uh, very exciting to me for a number of reasons. One, Kiara is one of those playwrights that despite having so many accolades, is still someone who is relatively unknown to the vast majority of New York Off-Broadway audiences. Uh, this despite the fact that a couple years ago she won the Pulitzer Prize for drama uh, for the second of uh, her trilogy of plays, uh, The Elliot Cycle, uh, which was called uh, Water by the Spoonful, at second stage. And she uh, was previously a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for writing the book to In the Heights, the musical that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote before Hamilton. So I'm excited for this because uh, this is the first time in many years that I'm going to see a new Kiara Huda's play that doesn't feature uh, an Iraq War veteran named Elliot, uh, for those who uh, saw those plays uh, play at second stage. So this play uh, takes place in North Philadelphia where a lot of uh, Kiara's plays are set. That's where she's from. Uh, And it takes place at a bar, a dive bar, uh, run by a woman named Daphne. Uh, And they're sort of, uh, you know colorful, collective uh, cast of characters who frequent the bar over the years, uh, and one of the the main people is Daphne's adopted daughter, who, uh, I won't spoil anything, but we learn in the first couple of scenes uh, that she is uh, very much sort of like Moses' baby in the basket kind of things. So, and as uh, her adoptive daughter grows older, and as does this bar, and as does the city of Philadelphia, uh, th- things start to change in the city around them, uh, and therefore things start to change within the bar itself, including uh, allegiances about um, who best, uh, what is the best way to uh, to encourage municipal change, cultural change, and there's sort of a lot of arguments in this play uh, about one thing or another. And I, I, this play, I, I think I've read a version of this play before. I loved it when I read it. It had a different title at the time. But I think that this is a play that's going to be very much engaged with uh, a lot of the things that are being discussed uh, in various institutions like this bar in cities around the United States. Uh, for those who don't know, is writing, uh, she is uh, someone who uh, I think speaks very passionately about the ways in which uh, cities uh, underrepresent certain populations, particularly populations of color, uh, and has talked has s- s- spoken about this, uh, these issues in a lot of ways in previous plays. In this one, she really kind of makes it the prime focus of the play. Uh, so yeah, I'm very excited to see what this becomes. And I'm very thrilled that uh, Signature is making a deep investment in Kiara because she's someone that I, I really want to hear as much from as possible um and luckily we're going to get a chance to do that over the next few years
0: tickets for the show are quite in demand i believe the original run is sold out so all the 25 dollars tickets are gone for the most part although you might be able to find some here and there i'm not saying that is like i did a vast extensive research but they have announced an extension with slightly more expensive tickets although not that much more expensive actually oftentimes they go from like 70 or 25 to 75 but i think these are only in like the 30 to 35 dollar range
2: yeah yeah it depends on the show signature sometimes i can get you know close to 100 dollars, and sometimes they don't and uh yeah so tickets are hard to come by still you know scour the website because you know in the sort of the the crazy sort of black magic of of theaters releasing ticket blocks of tickets Mm -hmm. uh sometimes there are sort of secrets you know hidden away tickets that get released a few days before the performance or go ahead and book yourself for the extension
0: yep definitely great Okay, Jeremy.
1: Well, I guess I was going to start out by talking about the Wooster Group, who have a new show coming. It's actually interesting. I'm not sure if this is, is this a premiere? Does anyone know? I believe it is a premiere. Because a lot of times I've seen in the past that when they do a show at the Performing Garage, they'll sort of do like a a month-long run of it, but it's not necessarily open to the press or anything. But um, in any event, the show is called The Town Hall Affair, and it's based on uh, a D.A. Pennebaker film from the 1970s called Town Bloody Hall, which was a film, uh, it, it was a panel discussion, in town hall, b- featuring a number of feminist thinkers um, and moderated by Norman Mailer, which, and I've never seen the film, but that sounds like a brilliantly terrible idea. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Right. For and, sure. And uh, that film is being sort of, uh, you know, taken apart and put through the Wooster Group's blender. Um, I imagine, you know, basically on the press materials, it looks like uh, they're thinking about the difference um, between sort of this filmic event as well as the art happenings that were happening at the time. So I think there's going to be a lot of tension between the live and the filmic, which... Probably won't come as a shock to anyone who knows the Wooster Group's work. I'm also curious, though, um, you know, I'm looking at the cast list, and it's interesting... I think there's at least as many, if not more men in the cast than women, which is going to be a, a rather strange, probably yet another minor controversy in the Wooster Group's long legacy of controversies over representation. But it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, a performance about a bunch of feminist thinkers that actually features more men on stage than women. But um, I'm definitely interested to see this one. So
0: The Wooster Group does these little daily video blog things and in one of them on the stage or on their website excuse me right now there are these things are not straightforward little videos they're kind of like snippets they're kind of hard to interpret but one of them somewhat addresses this issue in that the panel at town hall was all women except for the moderator Norman Mailer and in this show they do have men playing women apparently on the panel so you can only imagine that that is going to be somewhat controversial but i want to um mention that maura tierney is in this i adore and i don't know how she got caught up with the wooster group i feel like that's the right verb to use (laughs) but um i think that'll be just fascinating i cannot wait to see this show (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, from what I know of the Wister Group's past sort of, you know, uh, flirtations and diving into sort of representation politics on stage. I, I imagine this is, you know, the decision to sort of split gender-wise the cast has some sort of desired effect. Whether or not that will actually be interpreted Indeed. as such Indeed. is, you know, uh, I suppose is, uh, we'll have to see about that. Right. I'm, I'm curious as to what the aim is there at the very least.
1: Yeah, I I haven't actually had a chance to speak with anyone about it uh, really in the past. So I'm kind of going in um uh, very ignorant of it, but it'll be fascinating to see. I mean, at the very least the Wooster group, uh, you're not going to be bored. No. <laughs> whatever whatever happens there, you're not going to be bored. No.
0: Nope. I'm excited for that one. For good or bad. All right, This first thing I want to talk about is less a theater performance and more of a public spectacle, but it's called Fly By Night. It's a project by Duke Riley with Creative Time, who we know for doing these large-scale, usually free, open-to-the-public works. Most recently was the Kara Walker Sugar Sphinx in Williamsburg. Oh. And this one is at Brooklyn Navy Yard, and it involves 2,000 pigeons and it is, each pigeon has an LED light attached to its leg, and there are orchestrated flight patterns. I don't know okay. exactly how it works. There's like I a pigeon whisperer
2: that like well, will you direct know, the pigeons? pigeons are a
0: trained animal. Indeed. And I didn't actually realize the extent of the pigeon culture until I, there was a pretty big feature on this show in the New York Times, which you may have seen. If yeah. not, we will link to it on the website. But there is a huge culture around having pigeons as pets and training yep. them. And an earlier project by this artist involved attaching small cigars to pigeons in Cuba and flying them to Florida in this kind of subversive.
2: Wow! Like, what a great illegal idea! Illegal
0: trade. <laughs> um, what
2: a great idea! So,
0: so good news and bad news. It's free. The reservations are currently sold out. Okay. There was a reference in very tiny print at the end of the New York Times article that more tickets would become available. Um, But there is also a wait list. And there is also, this is outdoors. So if you go to a park near the Brooklyn Navy Yard, they can't obscure your view. I think you will likely be able to see it. I assume this is going to be one of those things that will build and soon there will be large groups of people along the Brooklyn Navy Yard will probably be funner to attend in that fashion than in the organized seat if you have a reservation. So this is over multiple weekends starting May 7th through June 12th. And I think it sounds amazing. Nothing speaks to me more than a free public art show.
2: I have so many questions.
0: I don't know if I'll have answers, but feel free to ask.
2: Then these are just for the ether, I suppose. Uh, Okay, so my first concern is pigeon shit. That's my number one concern right now. I know right it
0: crossed my mind too, and nothing written about it addresses that. Nothing, nothing written, written about, about two thousand
2: pigeons. I mean, let's let's actually think about the sheer odds of you getting shat upon let's just not by one of the aerial artists isn't that supposed to be
1: good project? luck when a bird poops on you that's what my <laughs> the, I, grandparents yeah. told but, me yes, that
2: is correct but I'm just thinking that like you know the odds of you in a day to day you know a lot of pigeons in New York odds of you getting shat on by a pigeon as you're walking down 14th Street or something are pretty low but if you're underneath 2,000 pigeons so flying so here's
0: what I'm going to say with that performance I s-
2: anxiety <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous. Here's,
0: here's how I think this is all going to go down. Is that most of the pigeon performance takes place sort of over the river. Oh, so we're not fine. Not over the audience.
2: Got it. Okay. For,
0: I assume, that very reason.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And it, then,
0: but there is an avian veterinarian on staff. If excellent. you go to the Creative Time website, there is so much like q a and faqs about the pigeons because i assume they are absolutely freaked out about the animal rights activists oh, coming down on them. Like, yeah. i mean they approach this from this is for the love of the pigeon like we are redeeming the pigeon we love pigeons we are coddling these pigeons they live in a space that has been like specially built for them they are keeping couple pairs to get to live together <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. This
2: is, I kind of just want to go backstage with this more than I want to see the show. And then is there going to, is it mute? Are they, are they flying to music? You know, is I it don't a know thing? about the music
0: thing. I, I, I didn't find anything about that. And so I, I kind of think not because I feel like if there were music, that'd be specially highlighted right. and nothing I read about it okay. included references to music. Although there was a reference to like, you can't bring your own music and you cannot, you know, no or flash Or your own photography, you can't bring your own pigeons. Or your own music to like interfere with the pigeon performance—they're focused. These are performers. No, they're
2: clearly professionals, and yes. uh, I, I didn't mean to suggest otherwise. Uh, in My previous comments. Me, thank you. John. I, I would not want that misconstrued. Okay, I have more questions, but I'm gonna—I just—I kind of want the mystery to hit me. All right. Uh, unlike pigeon shit.
0: Let's move on. Well done, Jack. Well done. Okay, You're fine. up next.
2: Okay, uh, you have uh, very little risk of running into birds at uh, this. This next show I'm going to talk about, Hades Town, uh, coming to our friends at the New York Theater Workshop. I uh, have been following this piece uh, and delighting in this piece for some time. I'm so glad that folks in New York are going to get a chance to see it. Uh, It's written uh, and co-conceived by Aeneas Mitchell, who uh, I did not know until about a year ago, but she is a sort of folk singer-songwriter who is fantastic. You can find all of her wonderful music on your Spotify's and your... Your iTunes, and I'm sure title, whatever the hell that is that we all know about now because of Beyonce. I'm sure it's there. Including, by the way, uh, music to this very show. Uh, This was an album that she uh, recorded with a bunch of very, very cool people, including members of Bon Iver. uh, That is, I think, some of the music. There's been additional music written since then. Of Hades Town, which is sort of this um, this folk musical retelling of the Orpheus myth, um, and it sets the Orpheus myth in uh, sort of a, a coal miner uh, coal mining town uh, that is sort of run by sort of like a company town sort of type of things uh, type of uh, organization, uh, and uh, the the big boss man is uh, is Lucifer in this case uh, is, uh, is Hades. And uh, I'm excited about this for, for so many reasons. One, uh, Anais Mitchell is ferociously talented. Unfortunately, she won't be in it, uh, which is a shame because I first got to know this piece last summer at the ground floor uh, residency program at Berkeley Repertory Theater, uh, where she sort of did a little bit of a workshop uh, on this and performed all of the songs herself with the band, which was extraordinary. Is there water being served right now? Jack! Maintain the
0: illusion. Maintain the (laughs) illusion.
2: Okay, sorry. I was just like, I don't know what was going on. Uh, Where was I? Uh... So she won't be in this, uh, but I, I saw her perform the music live, uh, and it was absolutely extraordinary. Uh, the second main reason to be excited for this is that it's being directed by Rachel Chavkin, who I think it's fair to say at this point is no longer sort of everyone's favorite emerging director. She's like destroying worlds left and right. She's
0: gonna be on Broadway this year. She's gonna be it's on all Broadway. Over uh, after that.
2: Yeah. Uh, Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of eighteen twelve, which we all know began uh, in humbler origins at the Ars Nova Theater s- several years ago, uh, has now been around uh, the city and around the country, and now it's coming back to Grubin's Broadway. Was
0: Josh in your show? George
2: Josh Groban's in the show. Uh, it's fantastic. She also uh, is uh, currently represented at Lincoln Center with the Royale. Uh, she's just uh, destroying worlds, and um,
0: and she's going back to Edinburgh this summer for a new project at the Edinburgh International Festival.
2: She cannot be stopped. She's incredibly busy, and it's fantastic. Uh, I'm excited for the cast. Uh, Patrick Page, who I adore, is going to be in this. Amber Gray is going to be in this. Um, I think oh, I
0: didn't know Amber Gray was in it. Amber Gray, oh, no. you
2: guys. I love her. Amber Gray, you guys. And the person I'm most excited for, Shannon Taub, Uh who I imagine will be playing sort of the. It will be sort of like. And I don't mean to diminish Shannon by saying this, but like the put in for Aeneas um, as sort of the the you know uh, the sort of teller of this story. Um, and uh, Shana Taub, if you don't know her, she's also an amazing singer-songwriter in her own right. You'll get a chance to see her at the Public um, later this summer, uh, and uh, she, she's composing the adaptation of Twelfth Night for our Public Works program, so you could see that at the Delacorte. Um, yeah, I, uh, I everything about this music is is fantastic. It's a sort of a mix of folk and New Orleans jazz, and sort of uh, you know old-timey mining songs. It's it's gorgeous, gorgeous music, and you can preview it as I said uh, on any. Of your streaming services, um, and I know, Jeremy, you're excited about this too.
1: No, I am. I mean, it's a great album. I've uh, I don't remember when I was introduced to it. It's probably two or three years ago. I think it came out around 2010. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not net, like singer songwriter music is not necessarily. Um, my uh, cup of tea normally. I'm much more uh, diverse, but it's it's not really something I, I normally listen to. But her work, one of the things that's probably worth saying about Hades Town, as you were getting at, is it's very diverse album. I think that's why it really blew up for her because it it, it is taking multiple styles and genres and sort of mixing them in to create this you know a, a framework to tell the narrative of of Orpheus. Um, so it's the music is beautiful and. I followed, much like you were saying, I love Rachel Chavkin and her mm-hmm. work. I'm really impressed with everything she's been doing. So when I hear about a new show that she's directing, I'm usually like, I have mm-hmm. to be there.
2: You know, one of the things I've been appreciating lately about um, Rachel in particular is now that I've seen a, her direct a number of different things, and it should also be said, you know, like Nice, I mean, she has worked on a... a number of different styles and forms. Uh, it was sort of bewildering to see her direct sort of, you know, a relatively straight play uh, at uh, at Lincoln Center in one of, the, you know, the straight playist houses in New York. And every time that I see her direct something, she sort of had this reputation early on for being a very flashy director and experimenting with audience interaction and the way that the audience is, you know, set around the stage and where the performers are. And, you know, there was sort of that sort of, like, flashiness about her. But actually what I've noticed is that she engages so deeply with the source material. It's not like she's adding, you know, pomp and circumstance onto a play just to be like, look at me. She's actually bringing out really intensely theatrical things in material that sometimes isn't ostensibly theatrical. Um, If you haven't seen the Royale, I encourage you to for this very reason. It's sort of a very straightforward story about uh, a black boxer uh, who's sort of fighting institutional racism within um, the boxing world uh, in the early 20th century. And the way that she establishes the physical vocabulary of this play is so highly theatrical and yet minimalist at the same time. And absolutely does not distract from the writing or the performances uh, in a way that perhaps a lesser director would. So to that end, I'm very excited to see what she brings to Hades Town, what how she decides to visually imagine uh, the world that Aeneas creates through her music and lyrics. I think it could be spectacular. Do you know who
1: the designer is she's working for, we're working with on oh, it?
2: Oh let me see if I wrote that down. Oh yeah, I do. Uh, scenery <laughs> is by Rachel Hawk, costumes by Michael Crass, lighting by the great uh, Jennifer Tipton. Right. Um, David Newman's doing some choreography on this. Oh wow! Yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be great. Hell That's a solid team.
1: team. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's uh, yeah she doesn't mess around. So this is going to be great. Yeah, New York Theatre Workshop again. These are uh, like Daphne's eye before. These tickets are like basically <laughs> gone, you guys.
0: There has been an extension announcement. Yes. These are a little pricier. These tickets yeah. are not cheap so but everything you guys have said has made me very excited about it yeah
2: i think it's going to be really
1: special
0: cool all right what else jeremy
1: well um one of the it's it's not so much uh traditional theatrical performance but it is a performance piece and it's one i've seen before and i'm very excited that it's coming back at the end of the month um uh, the weekend of may 26th but it's a piece called vine of the dead um, that's been sort of created and conceived by the designer and theater maker Jim Findley, um, who I think he's working so broadly. I'm sure. I mean, right now, uh, you, you just saw the show. What, what is his relationship to the show um, at Apeman's Arts Center? That uh, uh, so
0: he performs one of Aaron. Landsman's monologues, he performs Empathy School, which is the first right. monologue that takes place on a bus.
1: Right. So uh, Jim Finley is a very busy person, and um, this piece, uh, Vine of the Dead, it's very strange. I think it's about six hours long. Oh, wow. you do not now. now you,
0: Bringing it, Jeremy.
1: <laughs> now, the interesting thing about it is it's designed to be um, that you you kind of come and go as you please. So I don't think the actual expectation is that you're there for the entire thing. Now, the, originally this piece was done, I want to say, last November, and it was done in this large basement area um, at Westbeth Arts Center, uh, which has now been taken over by Jim Findlay and some of his collaborators, and it's the new collapsible hole named after the long-time uh, performance space and, and residency space they they had in Brooklyn, which closed, I think, in 2012. Um, So now this piece is being taken to the Invisible Dog, and I'm curious to see what happens in a very different space. But in short, the title references ayahuasca, um, so it's a very trippy performance. Um, actually, a lot of it has to do. It's really about trying to commune with the dead, um, and it takes. It's it, 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 it. I they they actually have like uh, psychics that have come in to work in the space that they base part of the performances on. There's a large video installation, and it happens as a series of gestures, collective gestures. Um, It's a really interesting piece. It's very hard to describe. There are both—Jim Findlay will sort of step out of these oddly sort of ritualistic moments to give sort of large— occasionally quite comic, personal sort of monologues about his experience of, I believe, a large part of the show is about losing a family member, actually. Um, But it's a beautiful show, and it's a really interesting one to experience. And the the reason I I, I am particularly impressed with this show is how it deals with the notion of sort of time and the experience you have of it. I know that, like, durational performances that you sort of come in and out of are kind of a dime a dozen these days. But he does some really interesting work in this piece. And in particular, the way in which he, as a performance maker and a performer, also thinks about design. I think that this really showcases the sort of intelligence he brings to that process. It's a really remarkably beautiful piece. So
0: about how much of it would you say you've seen before?
1: I saw about two, two and a half hours of it. Um, I forget, I believe there's a set number of gestures that they actually do. Like it's, it's literally, I think eight, 11 different pieces that will be performed in series. And you can sort of come in and out. Um, It's very beautiful. Like, there there are moments of sort of, like, choreography. Um, Actually, Jim's uh, uh, children are in it.
0: (laughs) Oh, so it's not a one-person show.
1: No, no. It's not a one-person show. But it's also not exactly always a performance. A large part of it's more like an installation where there'll be sort of light and video and a very complex sound score happening rather than... And you won't... It's less... In those moments, it's less about watching an individual doing something as opposed to just being in the space and experiencing it. So,
0: So if... In an ideal way, how would you recommend a person experience the show? Show up at the beginning, stay for as long as you want, and then leave. Or
1: I actually would almost recommend that somebody come that that if you that if you do your reservations, um, and there's a, there's a system you can use online. You can find it through the Invisible Dogs website to make a reservation to come. I almost, if you don't know much about it, I would almost recommend you come about an hour and a half in. Really? right yeah because because you're not going there it's not like you're going to miss something that's going to help you understand it <laughs> right. and so actually putting yourself into the middle of it kind of coming in after it's begun and sort of to pick up started to pick up steam it, it actually creates this really interesting it, it allows you to be lost in it in a really productive way as opposed to trying to be there right on time so that you you, you feel like you're getting the narrative arc because mm. there's not necessarily that much narrative arc to get
0: fascinating this is the first i've heard of this but i'm very curious me too
1: it's a it's yeah it's a beautiful piece and i'm really excited it's coming i think it's only one weekend so uh may 26th through 28th
0: so So they are performing it multiple times
1: yes it's gonna be three days in a row and so, I, I forget the start time. It can be found on the website. But yeah, it'll be, I think it's probably like 6 p.m. to midnight or yeah. oh, 7 p.m. Wow. to midnight, something like so that.
0: think you could go to a show and then go to that show. Yeah, right,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, you could. And I mean, you know, Jim's done stuff like this. I mean, you remember a couple of years ago, uh, Dream of the Red Chamber, right. which became a marvelous piece. Um, that I'd, I didn't see it in its final form. I saw it actually at the collapsible hole as a workshop. But that was, I believe, a 12-hour durational performance for audiences while they sleep. (laughs) And it became a huge thing. Um, uh, It it, it was very difficult to bring to a full production, um, actually. And I want to say this was two years ago. Um, The Times Square Arts Alliance got them um, a basement space uh, on, like, uh, Broadway and I want to say like 52nd or something. Mm. And they were able to do it. It made the front page of the weekend art section in the Times. Uh, one of the craziest things I've ever seen is going to Times Square at 1230 at night And seeing a line of, like, 50, 60 people on the sidewalk trying to get into a performance so they can go to sleep there. Wow. It was, but, I mean, it's a marvelous piece, and, you know, it was sort of a a chance-based and aleatory, and there were all these different devices, but truly, truly bizarre piece. Um, But a fantastic experience, and I think Vine of the Dead is slightly in the same vein.
0: Interesting. Brief digression, Um, your reference to sleeping and durational performances reminded me that I saw recently that Taylor Mac um, just got a MAP grant for his 24-hour performance. In connection with St. Anne's Warehouse which we had heard rumored that would be the location but this is the first time I feel like there's been any kind of official nod to that Mm -hmm. so very very excited about that tracking it closely
2: yeah Yeah. and he's gonna be doing something up at New York uh, stage and film this summer I think a Mm 12-hour version of this which is to date the longest Longest. uh, sort of piece of this that he's done so very exciting yeah
0: Okay, I'm going back to straight-up play theater. Get it. I want to talk about a production up at Second Stage Uptown, which for longtime listeners, we have been talking about the Second Stage Uptown productions that they do, too, every summer since the beginning of the podcast. Um, This is a smaller space called the McGinn... Cazelli? Did Cazale. I say that? Yeah. I didn't try to pronounce Name it. Named after McGinn, uh, Cazale, Cazale,
2: the great uh, Academy Award winning performer John Kazale.
0: Excuse me for not knowing that. <laughs> he was Fredo!
2: <laughs> he was Fredo.
0: This is. Don't be frightened by the fact that this is uptown. It's on the express stop at 72nd Street. Fetch um, your ass. But the idea behind these summer shows is that they take emerging playwrights and early career artists and give them productions that they call like like not not huge budgeted productions but every time I've been up there to see one of these shows I'm always amazed at the design elements they have like fantastic stages and and
2: King Liz was pretty involved one of the shows they did last year yeah. yeah
0: and so I wanted to give a little bit of background on this just because it's really from my perspective i just whatever they're programming up there during the summer these two shows i just always go and see them regardless of who the artists are because they really have i don't know how they do it but they have figured out the special sauce of combining playwrights who oftentimes i hadn't heard of or i had heard of but only in um really small venues here in new york but just over and over again they have created these really fantastic productions i've enjoyed. Everything I've seen up there, which has been about six or seven productions in the past. And I started making a list, and pretty soon I had two pages of shows. So I, I guess I won't actually recite those. I'll just say my favorite ones that I've actually seen, which was The Tutors by Erica Lopez, directed mm-hmm. by Tommy Kale, second mention on the podcast this week he so drink it. if you're playing that game <laughs> uh american hero by Bess wool directed by lee silverman uh-huh. mala irba by tanya Saracho, directed by jerry ruiz that's right the other thing emily schwinn directed by lucy Tiber-gan? Tibergian. Tibergian. thank yeah. you jack god you're on the pronunciation this week <laughs> as already mentioned king lives by fernanda koppel, koppel and directed by lisa peterson which there is an interview with Fernanda on the Maximu website um, by Nicole. So I'll link to that. And, oh, just PS, that's being turned into a comedy on Showtime. So, I mean, I don't know how they do it year after year, matching these playwrights and directors and artists and designers and actors, but, like, they win over and over and over again. So... The first show up this season is Friend Art by Sofia Alvarez, directed by Portia Krieger. Um, The cast includes Constantine Maroulis which is of American Idol fame and Rock of Ages fame, if you're into that kind of thing, whatever. But the story is actually kind of interesting. I feel like it's like very New York and insidery theater, which is it's about one young couple and then another couple who's recently broken up, and they're involved in the art scene, and so they're always having to go to each other's art shows, and the impact that has on their lives, and I guess they're romantic relationships. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure, but that just sounded so New York because as an outsider coming to the theater and sitting in the audience and not infrequently being asked, who do you know in the show and responding? I actually don't know. anyone," don't know anyone and getting a, 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 a look of just like complete confusion. And like, where did you come from? I just, I know this is a thing that happens in New York but and I know YouTube being closer to that theater scene, probably have personal experience with that. So I just thought it sounded pretty funny setup.
1: I actually have to admit, I'm usually more uncomfortable when I don't know a substantial portion of the people <laughs> in the audience. Yeah, <clears throat> We're all my friends. Who are these people? What's like, going on? Why am I here then?
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Why would you? Um, okay. Anyway, previews start May 17th, opens May 26th, closes June 12th. So a quick four-week run, and the tickets are 30 bucks. So not too expensive. All right, do you have one more, Jack?
2: Yeah, I'm going to talk about something uh, slightly on the smaller side. Uh, a play called This Time is a world premiere play by Savon Green uh, and directed by uh, one of my favorite uh, directors in New York City, Kareem Fami. Uh, This uh, is a play that is, uh, I believe, loosely uh, sort of, uh, or at least informed by, uh, if not inspired by, informed by uh, Kareem's own life. Kareem is a director uh, who uh, is uh, Canadian and of Egyptian descent, and this play uh, takes place in two time periods uh, in uh, Cairo in the 1960s, about a love affair between uh, an Egyptian woman and a Canadian professor, Uh, and then uh, flash forward 30 years to the 1990s in Toronto, Toronto, uh, when uh, the woman's uh, memories, as she starts to age, uh, start to um, uh, I- impact the lives of uh, her daughter and uh, sort of uh, her own, you know, sort of autumn years. And uh, it's sort of, it's it says in the press materials that it's inspired by the uh, memoirs of a Muslim woman uh, f- who fought for her independence uh, during uh, what is, uh, feels like always a turning point in uh, Egypt's modern history. And so it, it feels like a, a family play um, in sort of uh, the, the most traditional sense of the term about sort of uh, how the past haunts future generations and all of those things. Uh, I am excited about this piece because of the artists involved, and uh, they can be referred to collectively. Collectively, uh, by their theater company's name, Rising Circle Collective. This could be uh, a theater company that you've heard of in the past. They've been around for a few years and they exist primarily to uh, give opportunities and give voice to artists of color. Uh, And Sivan and Kareem are both founding members of the Rising Circle Collective, and they've primarily um, spent the past few years doing readings and workshops. They have a writers' collective that is full of a lot of extraordinary writers, um, and they've done uh, sort of readings of of some of my favorite plays of the past few years. And this is the first time that they're having a huge sort of world premiere play, and they're doing this at the Sheen Center uh, on Bleecker Street uh, by Elizabeth Street. Uh, If you don't know the Sheen Center, it's one of the newest sort of uh, workshop and rehearsal halls in lower Manhattan. It's a beautiful space. It's um, so nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I've spent a lot of uh, many, many happy hours at the Sheen Center. Um, so I'm excited for this. Uh, Savan uh, is uh, an incredible, incredible writer, a deeply poetic writer, so smart. Uh, Kareem is, uh, I've seen him direct everything from sort of very, very, uh, uh, you know, introverted uh, sort of plays about uh, the human and American psyche uh, to uh, thrillers. And uh, he's an incredibly versatile director. And uh, the main reason I wanted to um, plug this on the podcast is because um, he's someone that I, I'm sure many people who listen to this podcast don't know. And I'd like you to go get to know his work because while I don't know that much about this particular play, I do know the quality of the artists involved and I think it would be a fantastic introduction to some emerging writers of color uh, whose names you should know. Uh, so yeah, uh, this runs uh, has a very short run uh, at the Sheen Center. It's going to be May seventh through the twenty first, um, and uh, tickets are pretty cheap. I think they're in like the they're like seventeen or eighteen bucks or something like that. Um, so I always have to plug uh, something sort of new and upcoming and unknown um, on this podcast. I feel like it is my duty, and That's so this why is why we invite you. Yeah, and it's I, so I think this is going to be. Uh, this is really special. Uh, 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 Savan is a, a writer who's primarily based in the UK, so this is also a rare chance to actually, um, and he's h- had some success in recent years uh, in London and, and, and thereabouts, so it's great to have him back in New York for at least a short time and for uh, y'all to get a chance to get to know his work. Um, I guess I should say, full disclosure, Savan was uh, a graduate of the Immersion Writers Group long before I got to the public, uh, but uh, he's uh, he's delightful, and his writing is delightful.
0: Great, thank you. Yeah. I have one more I want to mention. Do you have anything else, Jeremy?
1: Yeah, I have one really quick one actually. Sure. Um, uh, it's a very small show. It's going to be at the Three Lake a Dog for basically two days, and it's um, I believe I can give you the date here. I think it's the 18th and 19th. It's like a Tuesday, Wednesday. It's a, or uh, 17th and 18th, I believe. Um, it's a company called Wax Factory, which is a performance group uh, run by uh, uh, Ivan Talianchich. And uh, Eric and Lotta. they've been around for about 10 to 15 years now. And what's interesting about this piece, um, and actually one of the reasons I'm bringing this up, and it occurs to me, I actually did a preview article for the uh, May issue, of The Brooklyn Rail, where you can find more information about this. But their company, Wax Factory, um, are essentially creating a, stage, a staged series of workshop performances about a show that they may never actually be able to pull off because it's too expensive. The name of the project is called Pull Yourself Together. It's a slightly modernized ver- – it's a definitely modernized version of Anton Chekhov's The Seagull um, that they are currently devising step-by-step, character-by-character. This is the fourth iteration of it, and it's actually – the first one is called – it's subtitled Hashtag Montage – It's actually the first version of it where they're really allowing the actors to interact with one another. And they've only done about half the cast so far. So this is a part of the series that's going to continue for a few years. And hopefully by the end of that, they'll actually be able to pull off the show. But they've sort of designed it so that audiences can go experience it um, piece by piece in case they never actually get to do it. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating approach. Um, and I believe it's actually free to go see because it's very workshoppy, Great. The three-legged dog, yeah.
0: Cool. The seagull is on stage across Everywhere. New York City this season. Oh gosh,
1: right? I, you I can't get, get away attention. from you. Can't get away from Chekhov. I just no. saw
0: stupid fucking bird at the Pearl Fantastic. on Friday. I want to say, and then on the other one, the seagull and other birds. That was at Abrams from yeah Pan Pan.
2: Yeah, right? yeah, and then Songbird and carom's doing the movie or whatever yeah Yeah, it's a whole thing
0: okay wow well that sounds super interesting um okay (laughs) i just want to add one more uh show called port cities which is by talia halif she is a south african australian artist based here in new york city this show starts on pier 11 in the financial district where you board (laughs) a ferry to red hook during which time you're entertained with a air quotes original soundscape Then you get to the Waterfront Museum Barge in Red Hook, where the actual performance take place. And it is a story. Jack, stop laughing and touching the table at the same time. (laughs) You can laugh all you want. You
1: just
2: can't touch the table while you do so. No, no, please. I'm loving this. Please keep going.
0: It is um, the character that is based on a woman who is an archaeologist who is examining her family's history, perhaps a disturbing family history, in New York City um, vis-a-vis the 17th century Dutch trade routes. Um, and this 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 history, she's sort of haunted by it. Um, and this is the first of five projects, all po- under the umbrella of port cities, that will take place in uh, 17th century Dutch trade route cities. So Perth, Cape Town, Jakarta, New York, and finally in Amsterdam. And I just don't know that much more about it other than what I've said, but I think it sounds pretty <laughs> fascinating, and so I'm all for... Boarding a ferry as part of a performance. What else
1: do you need to know? I know exactly, right? It's fascinating because that sounds like that's that's really interesting. Creating a show that no one can see all the issues of uh, the editions of because you'd have to travel like around the world over the course of years.
0: Yes, and that's so actually kind of interesting. And they're collecting a lot of content online, so there yeah. will be a website. And then in the final performance in Amsterdam, there will also be an installation that I think will gather much content from the other performances wow. and demonstrate it there. So I don't know what year that will be, but get your tickets to Amsterdam for 2025. Or I really have no idea when that will be. That's (coughs) rad. Sorry. Um, Okay, that brings us to a conclusion. Thanks, guys. That was fun. So much good stuff to see.
2: No horses. No, 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 we're not. I pressed the record (laughs) button. Talk about war. That's it. No, I just listen. I uh, we we here at the Maximo Theater Podcast love the Brandon Jacobs Jenkins.
0: Yes, we do, uh, and his director
2: and uh, and his director uh, the uh, the unstoppable, the very busy Leona Blaine Cruz. Uh, Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, of course, wrote Nocturne, wrote Appropriate. It was a Pulitzer Prize goddamn finalist. For Gloria this year. That's pretty exciting. Uh, LCT3 is doing his play War, um, which, uh, you know, I don't know that much about on purpose. Uh, there's a, a big fight that happens at someone's deathbed, and then craziness. Of course, there's
0: a big fight. And
2: because Brandon, and as, as, as longtime listeners of this podcast know, I love to just go to Brandon's shows not knowing anything because I know he's going to freak my shit out in some way. Someone's going to shoot up a place. Someone is going to show up in a clan hood. Some, it's Something crazy is going to happen. <laughs> oh my yeah. God,
0: we're going to cut that part out. You just Massively spoiled a prior if, show. If
2: you haven't seen appropriate, but anyway, but like, <laughs> but it's it's going to be great. It's brand. It's going to be great. Liliana, of course, um, if you don't know her uh, yet, you will. She's directing eight thousand, I believe, productions in New York this I think year. That's the right number. Uh, yeah. She just uh, left New York Theater Workshop after directing Lucas Nace's Red Speedo. She's currently at the Soho Rep uh, directing Alice Birch's Revolt. She said Revolt again,
0: which I regret so much. We have not covered on the podcast, but I have every review of it I could find. It is so good. It keeps extending. Go
2: see it. It's fan- you gotta y- y'all. You gotta go see the the revolt. She said revolt again. It's fantastic. And yeah, so that's uh um tickets as of this recording are not are like just on sale.
0: Just barely.
2: So you gotta like get your ass to the website because and again get your they're tickets cheap. To war but, and yeah, they'll sell out quickly. Um, because I'm gonna be there uh, a bunch, and uh, it's gonna be great. That's it. Okay.
0: All right. Second conclusion of the podcast. Thank you, Jack. Okay.
2: PPS. Thank you, Jeremy.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Moo Theater and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the podcast. We appreciate your feedback. If we skip to show you're excited about this May, we hope you'll let us know. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Jeremy is at Jeremy M Barker NY. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. And I'm at Lindsay Barons. As a reminder, we're on our summer schedule now, so we'll see you in two weeks with an episode reviewing what we've seen in May at the theater in New York City.
2: Folio, Theatrical Media